are entering the Freedom Hut. The left-wing media is an all-out assault on Trump to try to prop up Biden. We'll pull apart one of their stories about how the foreign governments of the world are paying off Trump by buying some glasses of wine at Trump restaurants and hotels. we got this, plus the latest on the crisis at the border, and oh, so much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. In the past, and under the Obama administration, Our politicians let other countries push us around, treat us badly, treat our country with no respect. And you see that with Biden. Look, I I believe that the president is literally an existential threat to America. Sleepy Joe, he was someplace in Iowa today and he said my name so many times that people couldn't stand it anymore. He says, let's make America great again. Let's make America America again. But time and time again, On issue after issue, Trump makes the wrong choices. With Biden, we would never be treated with respect because people don't respect him. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. It's like the general's already upon us. Trump v. Biden. But I want to tell you why that is. Biden is the default candidate for the Democrats at this point. They have such a crowded field. He's the only one who's out in front in a way that seems like he is inevitable. Some would even say the electability factor is the single most important check mark in Biden's favor. And so they're letting this play out a little bit. We're seeing how Biden, and I think the media wants to test it out now. How does Biden stack up against Trump? But you're also getting a window into what the future is going to look like. The media hasn't changed any any bit at all. The media is still 90% Democrat, maybe more, maybe 95. Think that they are on some mission to save the country from the, the right, from Republicans, not from Al-Qaeda, not from Russia or China, from you and me, conservatives. We are the real challenge to America, to borrow from Joe Biden in that opening, we are the existential threat to America. And that is how the media playbook is going to unfold. We'll see it in real time. They'll do everything that they possibly can to bring down Trump and to bring up Biden. It has already been underway. One of of my favorites is this line that there were No scandals. This was something that Biden said yesterday, that he was so proud of the fact that there were no scandals from the uh, Obama era. In fact, we have the sound by Play 25. Now I was most proud of for eight years. There wasn't one single hint of a scandal or a lie. Not a single hint, he says, of a scandal or a lie. Wow. Do you think that he'll get five Pinocchios, liar, liar, pants on fire from the media for that preposterous claim? No, of course not. They are 
relishing the opportunity. They are excited at the prospect of doing everything that they can to set right what was wrong from 2016, to defeat Trump. They don't think that what they did in 2016 and all of the reputational damage the media did to themselves as a result of it, they don't think that that's something that they have to learn from. They think that now is their second shot. Now is their, their, one, their one more chance to take down Trump. And that's why Biden will get away with saying that there were no scandals no scandals at all from the Obama years. And that's what he's so proud of. Uh, Jerry Dunleavy on, on Twitter had a great list. Uh, uh, David Harsanyi also had a very good list. People are just compiling lists of, oh, oh, yeah, you're right. No scandals during the Obama years at all. Nothing, say, that anybody would remember along the lines of Fast and Furious, Benghazi, the IRS targeting conservatives, ISIS as the JV team that we didn't have to pay any attention to, uh, VA waitlists where veterans were dying while waiting for care. The Taliban Five and Bo Bergdahl. The Iran deal and the echo chamber that was created to get it through in the media. Downplaying the threat from Russia. The 1980s called. They want their foreign policy back, Mitt Romney. Uh, ignoring Hezbollah drug running. The Clinton email server. The Department of Justice wiretapping journos and listing a Fox News journalist as an uh, unindicted co-conspirator in an espionage case. And... My personal favorite, if you like your health care plan, you can keep it, which was a lie the moment Obama said it. He knew it was a lie. It affected millions of people who lost their health care plans and were not given the information necessary to make an informed judgment about just what Obamacare would mean for them because the government lied to them. There was no way. There was no construct of the law. Remember that guy... Uh, you know, the one from MIT who kind of talked like this, and he's, you know, he's a professor, and he's, you know, you know, the you know, stupidity is a political advantage, or whatever he said about that. Basically, dumb people do what you want in politics, so that's helpful. Uh, and not his problem. I remember a professor, what was his name from MIT? He got famous for a little while there because everybody realized that the way that he helped construct Obamacare was it was meant to, shield from the public what was really happening the people weren't supposed to know what was really going on you know yeah it's you know it's lack of transparency is a political advantage uh, producer mike you know what i'm talking about right that guy professor yeah i'm drawing a blank too but I'm something looking, or other I'm from mit right yeah 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 we'll get him and he was paid all that money to consult on obamacare pull up a clip from that guy will you because i remember he was a real remember that during the obama years that guy became a fun villain of the moment he got paid something like six or seven hundred K to consult on the Obamacare project. Uh, Jonathan Gruber. There we go. Professor Gruber from from MIT. Uh, not to be confused with Hans Gruber, Mr. Takagi. Um, but yeah, Professor uh, Professor Gruber up at the MIT. I bet he, you Hans would have came out with a better plan. Hans would have had a much better plan, you know, and everybody would got would have gotten a several row tailored suit out of it, too. So. Weird, weird fun fact from Die Hard. Hans has a British accent. All the other guys have German accents. What's up with that? Did anyone, anyone ever care to think about that for a moment? Anyway. Hans. Booby. I'm your white knight. Uh, so, yeah, there were a lot of lies told by the Trump. I mean, by the, uh, pardon me, Obama administration and a lot of scandals. 
But now they just say no scandals. And these are the same people. And the media will magnify this lie. These are the same people that want to tell you that if you don't trash the Trump administration for its lies, if you don't understand and accept that what Trump has done is so horrible and so beyond the pale, then you're just some ignorant buffoon. How could you not throw Trump out of office, given all the lies he's told you as they're lying to your face about eight years of Obama? I believe the kids call this gaslighting. Telling you what you know to be untrue and doing it in an aggressive fashion without any any hesitation whatsoever. But here is my other favorite. This one is really fun. This one's really good. Get ready for this. Today there's a new story. And I occasionally spend some time at the, uh, I've been to the Trump International Hotel. It's a fun gathering spot. If you're ever in D.C., especially on a Tuesday, and you, wanna, you want to have a, an impromptu buck sighting, it's a decent shot that I'll be at the Trump International on a Tuesday. Not every Tuesday, but, you know, a couple times a month. So you probably got about a 50-50 shot if you're in D.C. on a Tuesday that I'll be there. And some of you, by the way, the, the member of Team Buck who came up to me today, when I was talking to Eric Bowling and his staff, I did an interview for Eric's show over at The Blaze. And uh, there was a member of Team Buck Canada who just happened to be in town. He came by and, you know, gave me a Shields high and a big high five. And thanks, man. Appreciate that. Because a couple of people had come up to Eric Bowling before, like, oh, Eric, we love your Blaze show. And I was like, all right, you know. I have, I know Eric's show. It's a good show. You know. Then we had someone from Team Buck come over. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Team Buck represent. Team Buck Canada. Eh? It's good to see him. But if you ever want to see uh, someone, um, if you ever want to see some, or rather, if you want to see me at the Trump International Hotel, you probably can if you show up on a Tuesday. Decent shot. And maybe if you're Team Buck, maybe you'll even, I don't know, maybe you'll even get a glass of Mezcal out of it. It's possible. I make no promises. But NBC News has this story today. NBC News, big story about how representatives of at least 22 foreign governments appear to have spent money at Trump Organization properties. Now, this is this is where we're getting into the emoluments clause argument, right? Another, oh, Trump is corrupt and he shouldn't be in office. He's violating the Constitution because his company owns you know, some hotels and golf courses. Now, before I unpack what a stupid premise this is, and it is a stupid premise, let's just start with this. The money that has, and, and the Trump Organization has paid uh, has has given, I believe, to the Treasury Department money that is identified as coming from foreign governments or foreign individuals that has been paid here, something to the tune of $350,000 ish. I forget the exact number. Uh, I'll, I'll pull it up for you just so no one can claim that I don't care about the specifics here. 300, I said 350, $343,000 for 2017 and 2018. They've donated any profits from foreign governments according to the Trump organization. So we're talking about, let's say, basically $350,000 for all the properties, all the hotels, all the golf courses. Um, And the media is pointing to this and saying, you know, corruption, it's unconstitutional, it's, you know, there's terrible stuff going on. Oh, and they have this photo of Trump International. It's so classic NBC. It looks, they're making, Trump International is one of the more beautiful buildings in downtown D.C., um, I, I just honestly, it is. It's an old post office and they've converted. It's a really beautiful structure. It almost looks gothic. And 
they've picked this photo of it with storm clouds in the background. It looks ominous. It looks like Dracula lives in this thing, honestly, to be honest with you. But we're talking about $350,000. They've got a problem with the Trump organization. When Trump doesn't own 100% of all these properties by any stretch, right? But Trump owns some interest in them. They think that 22 different governments spending $350,000 over the course of two years is buying influence or is is unduly influencing uh, president's foreign policy. This is the same journalist class that thought nothing of Bill Clinton getting paid $500,000 personally, a check written to him. For one speech given to a Russian bank, does anyone think that the Bill Clinton speech was worth 500 grand? Why would a Russian bank write a check to Bill Clinton for a boring speech that nobody remembers for $500,000? Maybe it's because his wife was Secretary of State at the time. Now, I would ask you, do you think the mainstream press, NBC and others, are in any way, were in any way as upset about one Bill Clinton speech while his wife is Secretary of State from a Russian bank totaling up more cash than all of these different properties put together or this scheme that they think is developing where, you know, because the governments of like Morocco, England, Saudi Arabia, you know, who knows, or Brazil... They've got some diplomats and some other people that went in and had some glasses of wine at the Trump hotel that they're that's buying favors or loyalty from the Trump administration. Do you think all 22 of those foreign governments who each respectively are responsible for less than twenty thousand dollars of spending? Do you think that they all get together and that they collude on how they're going to leverage this money that's been spent, how they're going to deter? Oh, you know. We spend $1,500 on drinks and the seared bacon that they, they do with this torch in front of the Trump International. It is fantastic. Um, I had it last night. I'm telling you the truth. Uh, do you think that they coordinate on how they're going to leverage this money? I mean, does anyone really think that they can buy off Trump by spending money in a hotel where there's millions of dollars being spent? And spending money over the course of two years alongside dozens of other foreign governments, and Trump doesn't even get the money directly. It, this is so stupid, but it shows. It shows what we're dealing with, the delusion of the mainstream press, the absurdity of their claims that they are unbiased, they are nonpartisan, they are neutral. Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton were paid largely by foreign, not entirely, but largely by foreign governments, so much money that for speeches, for selling access and influence and the promise, explicit or otherwise, that they would be phone calls that Hillary Clinton as president would take from these foreign governments, Hillary and Bill Clinton went from being, as they said, almost broke when they left the White House to being worth over $100 million dollars. A hundred million dollars, folks, never built, never had a product, never ran a company, didn't invest to get there. A hundred million dollars for speeches 
But that wasn't buying influence with them, you see. That wasn't corruption. Oh, no, no, no. The Clinton Foundation, the donations for which dropped massively when it was clear she wasn't going to be secretary, or she wasn't going to be president of the United States. No one was buying influence. The journos that pretended that Hillary Clinton didn't have a massive access selling scheme and didn't enrich herself enormously through that scheme should be completely discounted in this next election because they're hacks and they're liars and they're all around me here in the beltway, these little beltway bandits, these swamp dwellers. But you know what the truth is? Not a single one of them will be held to account for that. They are either hacks or they are morons. It's not possible they didn't realize what the Clintons were doing was wildly corrupt while they're pointing to what's going on with the Trump International and other hotels and saying, look at this. This is corruption. No one's that stupid. Or maybe journalists are. We'll be right back. Of anyone, a Democrat or Republican, regardless of who it is, if you hold a position of power, we, the journalists at CNN, are going to question you about it, whether you like it or not. That's right. We're here to hold their feet to the fire. And just because we are pro-truth doesn't mean that we are anti-Trump. We are not the enemy of the people. We are defenders of the people. And we want to defend the people because we're devoted to the people. Uh, we're not here to spin things or, uh, you know, color things a certain way. We're here to give the people reliable, accurate information on a daily basis. That's why we all come into work every day. Yeah. We, get a, we get a high out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Don Lemon and Jim Acosta, two of the biggest clowns in the game. Oh, and I love it, man. I could I could listen to that like 10 times. You know, we're not here to we're not here to pick sides or uh, or be anti-Trump. We're pro-truth. We're pro the American people. Yeah. CNN, your primetime ratings are down 30 percent for good reason, because you're a pro clown because it is the clown news network and. The, the people have figured this out enough people i mean i feel badly for the 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 dumb folks out there who watch cnn and still believe it is objective if you want democrat talking points watch cnn go for it but for the idiots out there who still think that cnn is objective i don't know what to say but uh don lemon and jim acosta are happy to take your money and your time we're just here to defend the people oh yeah oh my god you can't make it up folks they're such jerks Oh, let's let's just see who's right. You know what you're going to do? You're going to see in the end who's right. Okay. What do you know at this point? You just watch it. Okay. And we'll see who's right. Ultimately, I'm always right. That should be my new slogan. Ultimately, I'm always right. Oh, man. That's the Trump is in the sweet spot right there because he's kind of kidding, but he's got some he's got some swagger. He's not totally kidding. He knows it's going to drive the libs insane. Insane in the membrane. Insane in the brain. Uh, And that's a fun part of this. That's something that you know that makes it all worthwhile. But he's having a lot of fun with the media these days because he knows that this is he's gearing up for he's gearing up for a media war. He knows that's what's coming. They're going to throw everything they have against him, even with even more partisan ferocity than last time. Because I think there was a part of the media that thought that Trump was a joke and they sat back a little bit in some ways or some of them got a little lazy maybe and didn't go pedal to the metal all in with everything they had against Trump because they figured that Hillary had it in the back. You know, it was all over. Not this time. They probably learned their, well, I, I think it's clear they learned 
their lesson with regard to that. So they're going to come at Trump with everything that they have. And they're already trying to prepare the public perception of this in a way that it will be favorable to Trump. That much is very clear. And that's why you're hearing so much about the polls, right? Oh, the polls show Biden winning in all these states. Really? If, the, if they're so confident about Biden in the polls, why are they not sure they want Biden to be their nominee? Does anyone think that what the polls tell us in June of 2019 really has any bearing on what the votes will be in November of 2020? Does anyone really think that? Hmm. That's a that's an important question for us all to keep in mind here. Does anyone really believe that? I don't I don't think the media believes it. I think they find it convenient right now to pretend they believe it, but I don't think they really believe. But Trump knows that by just needling them a little bit on polls and calling them fake. He calls them fake news. They flip out. He says the polls are fake. Ooh, that's going to get a reaction. Play 18. No, because we have great internal polling. There were fake polls that were released by somebody that is it's ridiculous. No, we are winning in every single state that we've polled. We're winning in Texas very big. We're winning in Ohio very big. We're winning in Florida very big. They were fake polls that were either put out by the uh, corrupt media. Uh, those are fake numbers. But you know when you're going to see that? You're going to see that on Election Day. We do very little polling because I'm not a huge believer in polling. I think you go out there and you fight and you don't really need polls. You have to, you need ideas more than polls. But, uh, we have some internal polling, very little, and it's unbelievably strong. The strongest I've ever been is exactly today. And the media is freaking out about it. They hate, they hate the Donald Trump confidence. Big problem for them. They're very upset about this. And some of them are already telling themselves little fairy tales. You know, Bill Maher, he had some good stuff on political correctness the other day. I think it was in the same interview. He comes back with this. Maybe Trump's just not going to go if he loses. Play 21. But what do you imagine happening going forward? In whatever well, political I mean, way is relevant. One of those things, to take up your point, that I've been talking about for years now, almost three years, uh, that a lot of people are talking about now, is that if he loses Trump, he won't go. I've been saying that since before he got elected, that if he loses the second time, if he loses the coming election... He, and Michael Cohen said that, Nancy Pelosi echoed, said that, a lot of people now. And I think that we have to worry about because a lot of people say, well, yes, it can happen here, meaning fascism, meaning something other than what we was democracy. Now, I think we're already there. And I got to tell you, that's just crazy. Fascism is not already here. That's nuts. And that's an, an indefensibly stupid thing to say. But even beyond that, this that Trump wouldn't leave. Depending on when you ask Democrats, they say he doesn't even want to be president. Oh, but now he won't leave even if he loses. Why, why can't they just be normal when they oppose him? Why can't they make arguments that sane, rational people would make? Trump derangement syndrome has swept, uh, uh, swept across the land. It is a plague on the mind of liberals. And it's only going to get worse, folks. For the next 18 months, it's only going to get worse. We'll be right back. This really is a defining issue of 2020. When it comes to immigration, Democrats no longer represent American citizens. They, where are they coming from? A vote for Democrats is a vote for totally 
open borders. But when you look at sanctuary cities and you look at the tremendous problems, they want to get rid of ICE. It's been over 18 months since the administration asked for the legislative fixes that would have prevented the current crisis and 40 days since we asked for the emergency funding necessary to manage it. We did an expedited pilot with family units this year uh, with ICE and the immigration courts. Out of those 7,000 cases, 90 received final orders of removal in absentia, 90%. 90% did not show up? Correct. That was what I mentioned to you yesterday. 90% of those who say that they are claiming asylum, say that their purpose is to escape violence at the hands of gangs or whatever it is, never even show up for their hearing. Why wouldn't they show up if they had a real case? And let's just keep in mind, it's not voluntary, the showing up thing. That's a part of the process. And I've been saying all along and debating with Libs on this for many, many months that obviously they're not going to show up for these hearings. And they would say, oh, no, they will. Oh, yes, they will. Oh, yes, they will. Just to, just to give cover, essentially, to the massive scam, to the fraud. The media was doing this. They were giving cover in the by, by obscuring what was going on to the public, making sure the public couldn't really figure out what's, what has been happening at our border. They made it easier for this to be perpetuated and for the cartels to get away with it, to make more money for, with all the human smuggling. Hundreds and hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in human smuggling going on now. That's that's what is going into the pockets of the cartels, the most powerful transnational criminal organization in the world, most likely at this point. But oh no, they'll show up for their hearings, all right. And you're a mean, bad man and a racist and a bigot and a xenophobe if you point out that they will not show up for their hearings, which everybody should have known right away. Everybody should have understood right away. Um, but they pretended they didn't. They pretended that uh, somehow, some way, these people were going to show up. That's ridiculous. But there's a lot of ridiculousness when you talk about the media and the way they discuss these issues and how they, there's a lot a lot that we should focus on. For example, today, you had the latest Pew survey out, and it's being cited by everybody. Oh, that's right. There's a, uh, there was a 2 million person drop, they claim, as of 2017. Now, keep in mind, it's 2019. You have the Central American migrant surge. But, but they were claiming a 2 million person drop in illegals based on Pew survey. This is the uh, ABC News reporting the number of unauthorized immigrants living in the U.S. hit a new low in 2017, Pew Research Center. Now, when you say Pew Research Center, that sounds like, wow, they must have, I've heard that name before. They do a lot of polling. They must really know what they're doing here. No, they are just laundering the same bad data on illegal aliens that come from the census survey which only really counts legal immigrants and is a, a question that's posed to people where you have a high noncompliance rate. Remember, Democrats insist that there should be no citizenship question because they don't want people to really know. They don't want contrary data. The data that has been used stretching back since 2007 
shows that it's roughly staying constant, that illegal aliens are staying constant at about, you know, 10 to 11 million in the United States. And every person who works for Border Patrol or Immigration and Customs Enforcement, when I say, what do you think about this, this claim of, of z- zero net migration in the United States from Mexico? They laugh. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. You haven't had two million people who were in the United States, working in the United States, go back to Mexico? This is ridiculous. This is completely absurd. The census data, everyone knows, is absurd. And the Democrats keep it that way. They don't want better numbers because one of the fears in this immigration debate is that people will realize. And I'm telling you, I was told by by several career Border Patrol agents who had been working in sectors back in the back to the 90s where they had seen this huge you know, inflow and and all they're doing is dealing with apprehension numbers day in and day out. And I said, what do you guys make of, a, of the 11 million? How about how it's been roughly 11 million and constant at that number for over a decade? And they laugh like this is ridiculous. Of course, it's not staying at 11 million. It's probably 15 to 20 million. It's a lot more than the government is telling you. So how often do you see people going back into Mexico who are in the United States illegally? Uh, you know, how, how often is that happening? Well, and never coming back to America, you know, and deciding they're going to stay in Mexico forever. They don't see a lot of that. They certainly don't see two million people worth. Why would anyone do that? It doesn't see this is Democrats suspend reason and logical thinking if the suspension of those things supports conclusions that they want conclusions they want to come to perfect example is what will asylum seekers show up they're not really asylum seekers it's a scam but will they show up for their hearings why would they do that to put themselves in a position to be deported they're already in america they're good to go they're low deportation priorities when they don't show up very unlikely that they're ever going to be deported if they have a U.S. citizen child by having a kid here, an anchor baby, they're definitely not going to be deported. Of course they're not going to show up. Same, same thinking applies here with the Census Bureau data and the Pew Research Survey. You know, are, are, are there 2 million less illegals as of 2017? That number would change now because of the Central American migrants. Are there 2 million fewer, not less, fewer illegals in the United States then there, then there were. This is absurd. No, no serious thinking person can believe this. And all Pew does is really launder the bad census data on this. And this is the only number you'll ever find is the census data. As if the government, the federal government, state and local governments have no other way of collecting this information and never want to find this out. The government doesn't want to find this out because if people knew how much they have been, if the American people knew how much they've been lied to about immigration, about illegal immigration for the better part of 20 years now, they would freak out at their government, at least the ones who understand what the implications of this are over the long term. Uh, but the, the Census Bureau data, that's where we're... Oh, I, I watched a video where some of the Pew demographer experts... They have this little video that explains how they come to this conclusion about how as of also, why, why is NBC reporting on a number that is now effectively irrelevant? Who cares that there were two million fewer in 2017 unless you're just trying to run propaganda to offset? See, this is why they do it to offset the million illegals that will be coming in this year. 
Isn't that amazing how they can't now convince anyone paying attention that we don't have a massive influx of illegals? And so the number would have to go up, right? It couldn't be 11 million. It would have to be 12 or 13. But now there's like, oh, no, 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 no. It dropped 2 million just a couple years ago. Oh, isn't that convenient? Isn't that convenient? But when the uh, Pew experts were supposed to be explaining how they got to these numbers and how they, how they arrived at these conclusions, the demographer said, well, you know, we recognize that it's not perfect and that there's non-response in the census data. And so we rely on some other things, too. And one of the ones that they relied on, and one of the, I think it was one of the two main ones, if I remember from the video, was Mexican government data. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Mexican government's going to have it right. They're going to have it nailed down. The Mexican government has no idea, I can assure you, how many illegals are crossing the border and does not care. Not their problem. Our problem. As far as they're concerned, the more the merrier. But that's right. The demographers at Pew, relying on the flawed census, uh, census data, they want you to know that they're, they're getting a really good number and they're getting really close to the truth because they can rely on Mexican government information about illegal immigration into the United States. I can tell you one thing that's really easy if you wanted to. Crossing illegally from the U.S. into Mexico, that is not hard, okay? The Mexican government, Mexican Border Patrol is not on it, my friends. But sure, they're keeping close tabs. They're keeping close tabs on all the illegals. This is, the, the whole thing is just, and, and Trump is right. I mean, the D- Democrats no longer privilege the interests, prioritize the interests of American citizens over illegal aliens. That is just a fact. Democrats now view illegal aliens as a a very important constituency because if they manage to win the next election, if they manage to get the presidency and who knows what's going to happen with the Congress. All they have to do is stack as many illegals in the country as possible, grant them amnesty and then and then eventually the right to vote and citizenship, which will one will follow the other. And the Republican Party is doomed. We'll never win another national election in my lifetime. That's a pretty compelling, isn't that a pretty powerful explanation of why the Democrats are taking the positions they do? Doesn't that give what they would call in a crime procedural motive? Trump sees this. He's right. They do not care about the border in, this, in the crisis circumstances uh, that it's in right now. They're fine with it. They benefit from it. And the numbers that we're being told it really is an insult to our it's an insult to our intelligence no one can really believe that there has been no no noticeable or or uh, noteworthy increase in illegal immigration in america in the last 10 years that is that is completely absurd thousands and thousands and thousands a day showing up illegals 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 thousands and thousands more but oh no there was this magical two million person drop, you see, that would just happen to cover for the million plus that will come into the country illegally this year while people are actually paying attention. They're cooking the books. I'm telling you, they're cooking the books on illegal immigration. They've been doing it for a long time. And that's why the census question about illegal immigration is important. We do want answers. I want real numbers. We're also restoring American power abroad. The eight year apology tour is over. We don't apologize. 
We don't apologize for America. We stand up for America. We are undoing decades of calamitous trade policies and reversing eight painful years of economic surrender. We have surrendered. We had. We're not surrendering anymore. You probably read the papers, although much of it's fake news, but that's okay. You get the gist of it, right? There's no surrender. The economic policies of the previous administration enriched foreign nations at the expense of our nation. And not only the previous administration, many administrations before them. They allowed foreign nations to plunder our country, to steal our jobs, to take our wealth. It's all coming back, folks. Do you notice? It's all coming back. It's all coming back, baby. That's what the Trumpster's telling you here. He has had to go against the so-called smart set on these issues in a way that is, is truly remarkable. And now that, now that he has engaged China in this back and forth on trade, I know he's saying that they were very close to a deal, then China walked back in the deal. No one said it was going to be easy. But now that he's fighting back, you, we all can look at what has been the case with China on trade and think, wow, what were, what were previous administrations really planning to do here? just to allow completely unacceptable behavior to continue without any real pushback? The answer is yes. That was the consensus opinion. That was the bipartisan sit back, relax, and just take whatever China dishes out approach. And that just was never going to work. It was never going to be a successful strategy. But it took Trump, who has not been steeped in the talking points of the foreign policy establishment uh, establishment for decades, who doesn't come from a background of you know all these different think tank meetings and foundations and and you know media sit downs where they all think the same things or or know what they're supposed to say so that the other people think they're smart. He doesn't care. He just says, "What's going on here? How do we deal with it? And what's next?" A very straightforward, no-nonsense approach to what are complicated problems. But the first step in solving any complicated problem is understanding what's going on. Not deluding yourself, not pretending it's not really a problem, or hiding behind, you know, hiding behind nuance as an excuse for inaction. That's not the way this is supposed to go. That's not the way you're going to make things better. So Trump is making headway here. He has been his position has been gaining ground. There's no question about it. Meanwhile, you know, Biden on China, Biden does he doesn't know he's just looking for what am I supposed to say? What will benefit Joe Biden the most? That determines every position for Joe Biden. What is going to get the most bang for the Biden buck? That was quite an alliteration. But what what is going to help him out the most? You look at what his position has been as of May 1st versus uh, May 1st, 2019 versus yesterday on China. And it's it's quite a quite a moment, folks. Biden's he's had a lot of moments already. Biden moments. Play nine. China is going to eat our lunch. Come on, man. They're not bad folks, folks. But guess what? They're not a they're, they're not they're competition for us. China poses real challenges to the United States and uh, uh, some ways a real threat to the United States. Notice that Joe Biden will say, and now he's changed his mind just now because it was such a stupid thing. And remember the stupidity 
of the media and Obama back in 2012 when Mitt Romney said that Russia was a major geopolitical foe. Now, I think that he was almost right. China is a much bigger geopolitical foe than Russia is. But Russia's, you could argue Russia was number two at that time. The last two years, they've been acting like the Soviet Union has been reconstituted, and we may have to go to DEFCON 2 any day now because of Russia. But remember, remember Obama's all, you know, 1980s called, and they want their foreign policy back. And I was like, oh, Obama, he's so, he's so slick and smart and cool. He said the 1980s called, they want their foreign policy back. That was his big line. Another stupid Obamaism that was cheered at the time by the by the media the guardians of truth and and our republic <laughs> right cnn's not liberal <laughs> say the idiots who work there good times uh, but china is a major geopolitical foe i'm glad that joe biden has been able to figure that out at least that's progress for joe biden but note how he says that there are that, that china is in some ways a real threat to the U.S. Meanwhile, he said just yesterday that President Trump was, quote, literally an existential threat to America. I would be very curious to know, I'd be very curious to hear whether Joe Biden thinks that China or Donald Trump is a bigger threat to America. I think you'd have to say, if you're going to take Biden at his word, I think you'd have to hear him say that Trump is a bigger threat than China, (laughs) which just goes to show you how far reaching and how powerful Trump derangement syndrome really is. But then you have the some of the other components of Trump's foreign policy right now. You have people that are looking into Way, well, they want to find all the ways they can to undermine Trump, and they, they are cheering despite what it would mean for North Korea, for our regional allies, and really for the world if there could be a true breakthrough with North Korea. Uh, they hate Trump's efforts with North Korea. Uh, look, Trump says some kind of weird things. He does say some weird things about Kim Jong-un. I'm not going to pretend that he doesn't. I don't know. I, here, here's what I will here's what I'll say about this. Well, you know what? Let's let's play what Trump said today because he's getting a lot of heat for this, and then I'll tell you what I think is really going on. Play clip six. Look, in the meantime, he's kept his word. There's no nuclear testing. There's no large, you know, long-range missiles going up. The only thing he set up were very short-term, short-range. And again, the letter he sent was a beautiful letter. It was a very warm letter. That's a very nice thing. Everyone goes, oh, why is, oh, here we go. Mayor Pete, for example, today, who I almost bumped into. I was at the White House doing an interview with uh, Eric, outside the White House, not in it, out on the street with the hoi polloi, doing an interview with Eric Bowling. And somebody came up to me. It was actually David Brody from, uh, I think, CBN is where he is now. And he asked me if I'd see Mayor Pete. I said, are you serious? Apparently, Mayor Pete was walking around outside the White House at some, anyway, who cares? Mayor Pete, though, took this as an opportunity to slam the president. Play 24. You will not see me exchanging love letters on White House letterhead with a brutal dictator who starves and murders his own people. But you will see my administration work to create the conditions that would make it possible to welcome North Korea into the international community. Now, I know he got his little laugh line in there about Trump and the comment about the beautiful letter. But isn't what Trump is trying to do now 
exactly that, create the conditions to bring North Korea into the international community. And when dealing with a regime that is truly abnormal, as the North Korean regime is, doesn't a unorthodox and perhaps even in some ways bizarre approach, is, is it worth giving it some leeway? If the North Korean state is really as centralized in the, in the body and in the person of one individual, as we are led to believe it is with Kim Jong-un, is some undue and bizarre flattery perhaps a strategy? Trump certainly realizes that the North Korean regime is a brutal and horrific dictatorship, a true dictatorship, but that the only way that he'll be able to get a breakthrough is if he creates a particularly warm personal relationship. And for people who say, oh, but he shouldn't even, yeah? Go back and watch footage of FDR getting all chummy chummy and shaking hands with Uncle Joe Stalin, all right? Let's not, let's not be total revisionists and, and ignoramuses about how these things work sometimes. Who knows how he's going to get a deal with North Korea or if he'll get a deal with North Korea. He says things that are weird, but I'm giving him leeway to get it done at this point because he's gotten further than anybody else that I've seen in the role of commander in chief. One other place where I like what Trump has to do on this stuff on the foreign policy side, he's shaking things up, and that's in being willing to call people out. He scolded Germany a little bit. Play 20. I'm the one that brought up the pipeline problem where you have Russia, uh, giving a tremendous percentage of energy. You know, this gas is going into Germany. I say, how can you do that? So we're protecting Germany from Russia. And Russia is getting billions and billions of dollars of money from Germany. I'm the one that brought up the problem. Germany is paying 1%. They should be paying 2%. They should really be paying more than that. Germany is putting themselves at a tremendous disadvantage when 50, 60, or even 70% of their energy is being supplied by Russia. And oh, yeah, spoken, spoken right. like, like, the, uh, like the Putin puppet they say he is, right? Scolding Germany for buying Russian energy, which he's right to do. But I thought that, wait, why would he do that if he was, oh, he's not Putin's puppet. Only idiots say that. Let's play a game, everybody. Who is the dumbest member of Congress? Oh, it's going to be a fun one. Doo -doo -doo. Who's the dumbest member of Congress? Who is the dumbest? Now, I know a lot of you are probably shouting out or at least thinking to yourself. Maybe you're shouting out if you're having that kind of day. A bunch of different names. There are a lot of them out there. Some of you may be saying AOC. Some of you may be saying Maisie Hirono, by the way. Good choice. Uh, you might be saying any number of, you know, Maxine Waters. Any, any number of different prominent members of Congress who say, shockingly stupid things on a regular basis the media covers for them likes them supports them and if you call them stupid and they belong to any kind of a protected intersectional category then you're being a sexist a racist uh whatever it may be you know i, I will say this and this is not a controversial statement at all it is possible to be male or female and be stupid it is possible to be any ethnicity, any different ethnicity, and be quite stupid. Therefore, calling somebody who is stupid stupid is not. It is a fallacy to suggest that just the calling of, of, of somebody as stupid is somehow racist, bigoted, wrong in some capacity. But Democrats do it all the time. It's a dishonest tactic, but it, it works to some extent. 
So let's get into our game here of who is the dumbest member of Congress. You have uh, Representative Marcia, or is it Marcia? I think it's probably Marcia. Marcia Fudge, Democrat from Ohio. She had quite an entry into the stupidest member of Congress sweepstakes in the last 24 hours. She thought it would be worthwhile to uh, just trash all Trump supporters from the floor of the Congress. Play 17. It is glaringly apparent that many who support the president administration are either racist, steeped in religious beliefs, ignorant, or as my mother used to say, just plain dumb. I believe the crooked ascension of Trump to the Oval Office is a gauge that measures the declining patriotic and moral values of the many citizens of America, as well as being the revelation of the hidden bigotry, judgmental attitudes that yet exist in many of those who call themselves evangelicals. I believe I can safely assume that the United States is no longer a democracy. A democratic government is one that is governed by the people or their elected representatives. The United States is no longer a democracy, according to Marsha Fudge. Now, some of you may be saying, correct, it is a republic. And yes, Circle gets the square with that one. Uh, But you also could point out that even if she's speaking in a colloquial sense, saying that support of Trump equals no more democracy is a shockingly stupid thing to say. But here we have somebody who is an elected member of the United States Congress who is getting paid, what, $174,000 a year, at least, I think that's the base salary member of Congress, to be an idiot and to trash Trump supporters without any, no, no one in the left-wing media is going to push back on this and say, you know, maybe it's counterproductive to say that uh, many who support Trump are, are, are racist steeped in religious beliefs, ignorant, or just plain dumb. Oh, Marsha, I wouldn't start throwing around the just plain dumb card quite yet. But in our dumbest member of Congress sweepstakes, we have another, another entry that I want to bring to your attention. Democrat of California, Norma Torres, who, speaking about the recent fights over abortion and so-called abortion rights or the constitutional right to abortion that does not exist, but through judicial fiat was created much to this country's everlasting shame. Here is what uh, Norma Torres says to her Democrat, I mean, to her colleagues in Congress about why they may oppose this play 22. Mr. Speaker, it is tiring to hear from so many sex-starved males on this floor talk about a woman's right to choose. Mr. Speaker. For what purpose does the gentleman from Georgia recognize, uh, seek recognition? uh, Mr. Speaker, I would just like to ask my friend if she'd like to to change her last... uh, her last okay, statement. wait, can we, can we pause it for a second? Mr. Speaker. Mark, Mark can we start pleases- back? Can we, can we go back and just, just play, because she got right to it there. Play the first part of this again, just so everyone can really hear what she said. Mr. Speaker, it is tiring to hear from so many sex-starved males. Okay, there the- we go. 
sex-starved males. She's talking to her fellow members of Congress and Republicans who disagree that an abortion for all nine months of a pregnancy up to and including the moment of birth using barbaric procedures that are clearly killing a baby. Uh, But what does sex-starved males have to do with this? What kind of idiocy is on display here? It's almost hard to understand what she thinks she is saying. And what she says is is pure stupidity. Sex-starved males. If that were the case, let's just play this out for a second. Let's say that somehow she knows that the Republican congressmen who disagree with her on abortion you know, they, they, they are sexually deprived in one way or another. Doesn't it mean that their opposition to abortion is purely on moral and ideological grounds? They're not having sex. Their position on abortion is purely a function of what they think is moral. So she's almost making the case for them or helping make their case because their opposition is rooted entirely in the respect for life and the recognition, both the scientific and ethical and moral recognition of the fetus as a baby. But sex-starved males, she says. Who is the dumbest member of Congress? This is an ongoing, an ongoing debate that we will have. But I think after today, we could put Marsha Fudge and Norma Torres somewhere in that ranking. I'm not sure they're number I'm not sure either of them will be number one. But I think they're making their way up the ranks quite a bit. And I'm sure that the Democrat media would say, oh, how dare you call either of them dumb? Meanwhile, they called Trump dumb a hundred times a day. They can't say enough terrible things about the president. But if you say anything about a Democrat, who, particularly a Democrat who's a female, oh my gosh, they bring the wrath of Vox.com down on your head. Vox.com, it's very feisty. We'll be right back. The president was falsely accused of this whole collusion narrative. Falsely accused. Do you investigate the false accusation or do you investigate something Bob Mueller has already spent 22 months on and came back and said there was no collusion and that, that and did not indict on any type of obstruction of justice? So the Democrats, they're going to do the latter. They're going to focus on continuing to do what Mueller's already done. They're going to continue to do this. And, and think about these three key facts. They got memorandums of understanding between the respective chairmen on, on how they're going to coordinate their effort to go after the president. They first bring in Michael Cohen, who sits in prison for lying to Congress. That was their first star witness. And their second star witness is, as you point out, John Dean, who pled guilty to obstruction of justice. This is just what they're going to do, and it's wrong, and the American people understand it. It's deeply wrong. It tells us a lot about who these Democrats are, that's for sure. And for all of their gaseous speeches about defending our democracy and preventing intrusion into our electoral processes and all this other stuff, keeping our institutions from collapsing. Anyone who has been paying attention to the Democrats have been playing this game must know, must recognize that they're playing the worst kind of politics here. You had uh, Donald Trump Jr. once again going down to give testimony behind closed doors to a Senate committee. And Donald Trump Jr. was asked about this as he was entering the hearing, and he gave a uh, rather curt, to the point response. Play 16. Don, why are you here today? Are you here to correct your testimony? Nothing to correct. There's nothing to correct. I'm sure that the Democrats and some Republicans who are going along with this in the Senate, and I can't really explain why, 
There are some Republicans that really just can't help themselves. They just want to be like, I mean, this is a, a constant problem for the GOP is that you have people on the right who want to sit at the cool kids table. They just want to be liked by that other. It, it is so seductive. You know, if you can be a Democrat, you get all that or be liked by the Democrats. Being a Democrat is a slightly different thing. You get all the glowing coverage, all the warm and fuzzy. Oh, look at him breaking ranks. Oh, he's a maverick, right? Who does that remind you of? He's a maverick selling out his side. But, oh, he's a maverick. Short lived, though. It's the equivalent of a political sugar high. Doesn't really last very long at all. And you're left with nothing when it's all done. How many never Obama Democrats were there, folks? There were none. None. Forget never Obama Democrats. How many Democrats on fundamental policy issues that the Democratic Party is trying to push? How many Democrats really broke ranks and stood in the way and tried to make a name for themselves by opposing their own party? I cannot remember any. Democrats show us what it means to be in lockstep. They are like the Borg or like Agent Smith in the Matrix. They all act as one when there's an issue of importance to them. And Russia collusion, delusion, nonsense is one of those issues. Uh, They have latched onto this. They will not stop. They're trying to squeeze every last bit of political juice out of this that they can. And they are trying to uh, pull together a lineup of witnesses that are either meant to, one, just grandstand and and, uh, act like they're on the set of MSNBC or CNN, or two, just as a harassment procedure. Come down and testify under oath again. Doesn't matter what Donald Trump Jr. says. There's a there's a decent chance that Democrats will leak something or there'll be some news story about how, oh, there's an inconsistency. Donald Trump Jr. lied again. Oh, he should go to prison. And they'll start saying all this stuff. They really do want to send them to prison. Donald Trump Jr. is testifying for the second time about Russia related issues, right? About Russia collusion that didn't happen. In the Mueller report, there's no collusion, did not exist. President Trump has been right all along. Democrats haven't budged. And not a single Democrat has been willing to say, wow, maybe we went a little too hard on this. Maybe we owe, him a, maybe we owe the president an apology, at least on collusion. I'm not even asking for an apology on obstruction. Just on collusion. Maybe. Maybe we could get an, oh, no. No, absolutely not. They would never go for that. Donald Trump Jr. Testified, has testified for a second time. You know who has not been brought down to testify about anything Russia collusion related or anything else? Hasn't given answers uh, to the Congress in open testimony. Clapper, Brennan, Strzok, Page, Comey. We need answers from these people. New answers. You can say, oh, Buck, well, some of them have, yeah, but... It's been a, we've learned a lot since the Mueller report came out, haven't we? They haven't been asked to come down again, but Donald Trump Jr. has been asked to come down again. So some of them would be repeat performances, but we need repeat performances from them because there's so much new information. If they want to bring Donald Trump Jr. down, shouldn't they want to know more from Brennan, more from Bruce Orr, all these other figures? Here's the, here's the real kicker. 
How can they justify bringing Donald Trump Jr. down again for more of this inquisition when they have not yet brought down Mueller himself or anyone from his team? Let's get Weissman down here, uh, that smug little Democrat. Let's get him to show up and answer some questions about his novel legal theories and obvious partisanship in the writing of his of, of the Mueller report. People believe that he was probably the primary author. I've heard that from those who would have particular insights into this. But the Democrats are not letting up at all. They're hoping that they see a lane here to use the Mueller report to defeat Donald Trump's reelection bid. Here's what Devin Nunes has to say about it. Play 13. After years of false accusations and McCarthyite smears, the collusion hoax now defines the Democratic Party. The hoax is what they have in place of a governing philosophy and a, or a constructive vision for our country. The Democrats assembled us today to analyze the shoddy political hit piece known as the Mueller Report. That's right. The Mueller Report. You know, Devin Nunes is also owed an apology by anyone who's going to be honest about any of this. Devin Nunes was trashed for early on being willing to push back against this Russia collusion nonsense. Trashed his reputation. Oh, he's a, you know, he's a Trump stooge. He's this, he's that. There are some really, if not unsung, very uh, insufficiently sung heroes for truth in this whole saga. I think Devin Nunes is one of them. I think Jim Jordan is one of them. Annie McCarthy, our friend over at National Review, particularly worthwhile analysis on this issue. Molly Hemingway has been dogged on this over at The Federalist. Bill Barr, single most hated man in the country right now by a lot of Democrats, and with good reason because they're not going to be able to shake him. And he's a threat to their whole whole castle of lies. You don't want to be here. Lou doesn't want to be here. None of these people want to be here. But they are, and they're not here for themselves. They're here to continue fighting for what's right. Lou's going to go back for his 69th chemo. The great Ray Pfeiffer would come down here, his body riddled with cancer and pain, where he couldn't walk. And the disrespect shown to him and to the other lobbyists on this bill is utterly unacceptable. You know, I used to get, I, I, would, I would be so angry at the latest injustice that's done to these men and women. And, uh, you know, another business card thrown our way uh, as a way of, of shooing us away like children, trick-or-treating, rather than the heroes that they are and will always be. Ray would say, calm down, Johnny, calm down. I got all the cards I need. And he would tap his pocket. Where he kept the prayer cards. 343 firefighters. The official FDNY response time to 9-11 was five seconds. Five seconds. That's how long it took for FDNY, for NYPD, for Port Authority, for EMS, to respond to an urgent need from the public. Five seconds. 
Hundreds died in an instant. Thousands more poured in to continue to fight for their brothers and sisters. The breathing problem started almost immediately, and they were told they weren't sick, they were crazy. And then, as the illnesses got worse and things became more apparent, well, okay, you're sick, but it's not from the pile. And then, when the science became irrefutable, okay, it's the pile. But this is a New York issue. I don't know if we have the money. And I'm sorry if I sound angry and undiplomatic, but I'm angry, and you should be too, and they're all angry as well, and they have every justification to be that way. So this was John Stewart yesterday testifying on, on Capitol Hill on behalf of the first responders who have been promised and are, are owed uh, medical support for the lifelong diseases uh, you know, having to do with the debris and uh, cancers and things that have resulted from their efforts to try and help at 9-11 down at Ground Zero. Uh, the House Judiciary Committee has passed a reauthorization for the 9-11 Compensation Fund. That this had to happen in this way seemed to catch a lot of people by surprise, and it even seemed to catch Mitch McConnell himself uh, in the Senate as something of a surprise. Play clip 11. The 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund is running out. Do you support reauthorizing the fund? Gosh, I hadn't looked at that lately. I'll have to. Uh, We've always... Uh, dealt with that in the past in a compassionate way, and I assume we will again, but I, I haven't looked at it lately. I haven't looked at it lately. I have a feeling that this will, as it has as it has in the past, this will be dealt with, as he said, uh, will be dealt with by the Congress. But you would think it would be a higher priority. There are not that many, there are not that many things that we are still truly united behind as a country. I would like to think on both sides of the political spectrum. I would like to think, and as somebody whose life was uh, was altered, certainly, um, by 9-11, I made the choice to join the CIA because of 9-11. That was why I wanted to do it. Um, I, before that, it never really even occurred to me that I would go work for the government, go work for the Central Intelligence Agency, specifically working against al-Qaeda in the counterterrorism center of the Central Intelligence Agency. But the first responders on 9-11, you know, FDNY, NYPD, and and others, uh, that shouldn't be an area where we have any political disagreement or any partisanship whatsoever. You have over 40,000 people who have uh, applied to the September 11th Victim Compensation Fund, which deals with anybody who has an illness that they believe is related to being at the World Trade Center site or being at the Pentagon or even in uh, Shanksville, Pennsylvania, after the attacks. Five billion, uh, f- over $5 billion have been awarded uh, out of the $7.4 billion fund with about 21,000 claims pending, according to Fox News here. Um, Stewart, who, look, I mean, John Stewart, it's not even worth getting into 
what I think about him or his show or anything else. On this, he's right. When people are right, they're right. I don't think we always have to play this game of, well, I don't like them on all these other things, but I like them on this. And I think you know that without me saying it about, about Jon Stewart. I think in the past he's been very divisive. I think he's been a propagandist and fine. On this, he's right. He's doing the right thing uh, by those individuals who rushed into what was a, a hellish situation. And, and you have to remember, people didn't know what the real end result of this was going to be. Were there more towers, more buildings that were going to go down, get hit? You know, how, how bad was the air quality going to be with these buildings collapsing in the way that they did? How dangerous would it be to be down there? I mean, I still remember seeing footage. I wasn't in New York. I was in college when 9-11 happened. I remember the whole day very well, though. I remember seeing footage of people just covered in debris and dust and dirt afterwards. Uh, but here we are. It's been uh, 18 years since the attacks of 9-11 and there still has to be this constant reauthorization of funding for those. You know, we have a lot of mechanisms in the in the budget, our budget, which is completely out of control as a country. And we used to care more about that. We seem to not care very much anymore. And I can't really speak to why that is. Well, I can speak to why that is, but I'll do that another time. But much of it is spending that is on autopilot, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, these things. This is not discretionary spending. This is just it just auto renews at a rate predetermined. And that's what they do. You would think the few billion dollars for 9-11 first responders and victims of the 9-11 attack, that that would be an area of government spending where we wouldn't have to haggle and we wouldn't have to see the Congress almost surprised by the fact that, oh, well, they might run out of money for this. Yeah, they might run out of money, and that's not okay. So uh, I tip my hat to Jon Stewart for making the case, but I'm sure he would agree. Much, much more importantly, we have to continue to uh, show all due respect and honor to those who that day either paid the ultimate price or continue to pay a price to this day with deteriorating health, with uh, terrible cancers and other diseases that are medically uh, have been medically linked to what happened that day on, on September 11, 2001. I think that this country is forgetting a lot about that day. We certainly shouldn't forget about our first responders, and we do have a debt of honor to them, one that we must keep. Who are the casualties in the culture war? We have to ask that question. I think it comes up more now than it has in the past because of this ongoing, very important philosophical debate between what are roughly termed wartime and peacetime conservatives now in America, referring to ideological war and the understanding that if conservatism is to play a passive and we play by the rules, we don't use state power, we don't organize, we just make our case where we're allowed to make it, Take the consequences, the other side dishes out, don't dish out any consequences to them. Somehow, eventually, hopefully, we will be in a better position. That has been the position or that has been the 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 view of mainstream conservatives for a long time. That's the that's the peacetime conservative view is that if we just sit back and allow this to happen, but we make our case and we play by the rules things will go our way. I think a lot of people recognize that's just not how it happens. And there's a very 
interesting moment here where I think some that had been peacetime conservatives are more likely um, more likely to see that this is never going to stop. This is never going to end. Ram Hazoni, best known uh, for being, I think, the author of The Virtue of Nationalism, has a thread on this issue um, because he, he this was on Twitter, but he's he's responding to how finally we, we see that they're never going to stop suing Masterpiece Cake Shop out in Colorado. Remember, this is the Christian baker who has been told that he's has to do things. Uh, he has to write messages that he does not agree with that are against his religious beliefs. And they find him out and they seek him out now. And, and Yoram Hazoni tells us all that while we think, oh, it's going through the courts, it's going through the courts. While that's happening, he's being destroyed. He is a culture war casualty. His life is being ruined. And even when the court eventually says, all right, fine, in this case, we'll find in your favor, they just sue him again. They bring some some other uh, LGBT activist shows up at his cake shop and says, this time we, we want you to draw or we want you to make a cake that will celebrate a gender transition event. And, and, and they claim that it is a birthday cake saying that their new trend, their new gender is effectively the first day of their new lives. So it's just like making a birthday cake, except you're going from male to female and you're female day one. These people aren't these activists aren't finding this uh, and dealing with this in good faith at all. They're trying to make an example of him. But here, here's the thread from uh, Yoram Hazoni on the culture war casualties. This is a, a Christian winning in court after years of costly efforts to defend his or her religious liberty is not a victory. It is a loss because it proves that in America, using the government and the courts to harass Christians is a completely normal and legitimate thing to do. So long as the state is neutral between Christians and their tormentors, such harassment will continue. This is because, in reality, there is no such thing as a neutral state. The state either tilts toward Christianity, as the U.S. did at least until the 1940s, or it tilts toward liberalism, as the U.S. has since the 1960s. You have to decide to tilt one way or the other. Tilting toward Christianity does not mean revising the American Constitution. It means accepting that the American political order requires a Christian society and that the protection and cultivation of a Christian society is a fundamental interest of both nation and state. Tilting toward Christianity means that it is an open and shut case that government and the courts have no business harassing individuals for living a Christian life freely. So long as it is not open and shut, the harassment of Christians for their faith will continue. Uh, I think this is a very this is very important perspective on this issue. You know, we are often led to believe and we read, including from a lot of people on the right, analysis of, oh, see, they didn't. The, the court got it right. OK, well, the court got it right after getting it wrong a few times after appeal after appeal. If you can just go in and harass somebody and it isn't shut down with prejudice by the courts right away if really the courts are going to take seriously that you could have an evangelical ba evangelical baker forced into writing there is no god for example on a cake and if he won't do that it is discrimination forced into drawing phallic objects on a cake for 
whatever purpose or or some kind of these are things that have happened i'm not these aren't just things that are coming to my mind these this is what they've done uh, these activists conduct themselves in in terrible faith uh, in this whole process it's very clear um, that they are doing what they can to send a message uh, to send a message to everyone else, they don't. They're not going after Masterpiece Cake Shop or or any of these or Ar, um, what's the other Arlene's Flowers Masterpiece Cake Shop. These Christian bakers, they go after one to establish if they can a judicial precedent. That's their favorite thing, right? The judges give them what they what they want. Give the left the power to chase Christianity out of the public square to antagonize and destroy those who for religious or, or whatever reason uh, of, of fundamental belief don't agree with the left's position on transgender rights or gay marriage or whatever the specific issue may be. But even if they lose in court, you know, one of my favorite things to say on the show, the process is the punishment, just like with the two year long Mueller investigation of Trump and all the people around him. They didn't win in the end. Does anyone think that the left didn't get their way? That's why it never should have been allowed to happen in the first place. That is why the abuse of process by bad faith parties must be treated as a matter to be met head on and dealt with, not just sit back and say, oh, well, you know, they're they're doing this to hurt us and they're abusing the process. But, you know, it is the process. Then you have additionally the message that is sent through that continued antagonizing and and effort at personal destruction, which is you better do what the left says or else you don't have to burn down every village. You only have to burn down one to send the message. If you stand against the left, if you are a person of Christian faith, they don't do this to Muslim bakers, as has been pointed out. They don't do it to Muslim bakers. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen them do it yet to a Orthodox Jewish baker, although I, I wouldn't put it past them. They like a national news story like this, no matter what the end result in court is, because you have to see this and say to yourself, that could be me. That could be my business. And if the left can do this to a baker, who else can they do this to? You know, what, what other service can they insist on? How far are we really in this country from a legal challenge where someone who is in the church of Satan is going to demand that a, you know, a, a religious, a, a religious figure, a Catholic priest say, conduct a, uh, a, a marriage ceremony for two people from the church of Satan in their church. You know, you could say, Buck, that would never happen. Really? They're already thinking about challenges to bring against fundamental religious, uh, religious liberty. They wanted to make nuns for heaven's sake, fund contraception through a health care law. You would think that that would be on on its on its face, just so outrageous. But no, no, HHS, Kathleen Sebelius, the Obama administration, they wanted those nuns paying for that contraception. They do not respect people of religious faith who stick to their morals, who believe what they believe, and who aren't part of these new age religious circles where it's like, yeah, whatever feels good, go for it. You know, the Bible's really all about, so the Bible's really just a big social justice document anyway. I'm seeing a lot of that these days. The Bible, there's a lot of, a lot of law and order in the Bible from what I remember from studying it in school. There's, there's a lot of don't do this or else. 
a lot of justice from the Almighty. It's not just, yeah, you know, socialism and stuff. That's what Jesus was all about. This is what you hear from people. There's a lot of rules, folks. There's a lot of this is good, this is bad. Not a lot of, oh, well, you know, it's whatever you think it is. Nope. Moral relativism is not what the Bible gives you. Everyone, it's time to check in with our friend Jesse Kelly. He is, of course, the host of The Jesse Kelly Show down in KPRC Houston. He is on in uh, the evenings there. Mr. Jesse Kelly, great to have you, sir. It's great. Well, look, I should say it's great to be here, Buck, and it is. I'm happy to be talking to you, but I'm on my way to pick up a euro as we speak right now. And I feel like I was pondering this. I feel like the euro has been given no love in the United States of America. I mean, everybody knows about a cheeseburger and a cheesesteak and all that stuff's fine. But are we dealing with the real anti-Greek bias or what is it? Because what's not to love about a euro? Well, first of all, the way you you pronounce it just goes to show how how sophisticated a man you are. Because a lot of people, when I was growing up, would call it a gyro. They'd say, hey, I want a gyro. It is, in fact, a euro. I lived in Greece for most of a summer years ago. And you pretty much live on euros when you're a when you're a relatively, um, you know, impoverished college student. So it is what it is. But they're delicious. You're right. It's a fantastic one. They are phenomenal. And look, look, my I, how many times have I told you this, Buck? My community college that I have almost three years of credits at was accredited. It wasn't some joke of a community college. I mean, we took real classes there, so of course I know how to say it. <laughs> exactly. So, Jesse, I wanted to get your take on this because I know that you're going to have a particularly uh, PC and corporate sponsor-friendly view of it. The <laughs> Women's World Cup is, is underway, and you have the U.S. national team give a 13, the women's national team for soccer, a 13 nothing thrashing to Thailand, uh, and and they're saying that the criticism that they're receiving as a result of this for just I mean usually soccer matches as everybody knows you know one one maybe three one anything above four goals is considered a blowout anything in double digits is just a mockery uh, but they're saying that the criticism of their thirteen goal route of Thailand is sexist I just think that they think everything is sexist. I think that they should just be grateful that as women who play sports, anybody is talking about the game whatsoever. I don't care that it's insulting or that, that people are ripping on them about it. Okay, it's women's soccer. Soccer sucks bad enough on its own, let alone when the women play it. Let's not act like it was some blockbuster event. So what? You blew out Thailand. Everybody in Thailand is 98 pounds. I would hope we can blow out Thailand. We're America. We should blow out Thailand. I, now, that being said, I have no problem with rubbing people's faces in, in a blowout score. I think as Americans, especially when we travel abroad, we have an obligation to remind other countries who the top dog on the block is. And so I'm happy they did that. But you're women's soccer. No, women's soccer. Know your role here. Well, the other part of women's soccer that's, well, there's a couple things that are getting a lot of attention. They are, are part of a, of a lawsuit now. And there, it's it's another one of these sports where the women are are paid uh, on a different scale than the men, and they say that they want equality. They want pay equality with men's the U.S. national men's soccer team and all the things that go with it. They say they stay in Roach motels, they fly middle seats in coach, they all, all this parade of horribles of being on the women's national team versus being on the men's national soccer team. And lost in all this is. Well, the reason the men get paid more is because a lot more people watch men's soccer, 
which means that the sponsors pay more money because they're trying to sell product. So this is capitalism at work. But is equality now pretending that the same amount of people want to watch women play soccer at half speed of the men? Because that's what it seems like to me. Well, of course, it's it's the same business model that every union and pretty much the history of the country's gone with that, that that all these people do. That's the whole business model of the left is let's use the accomplished people to prop up people who aren't accomplished or who aren't talented or who aren't entertaining. It's not it's not complicated on how you make money in this world. It is the mark. It is the the uniqueness of your marketable skills, period. Yes, they have unique skills but they're not marketable because no one watches women's soccer i think men's soccer makes four billion to women's soccer's 500 million dollars they should be happy they're getting the share they're getting and don't complain about flying and coach spend a little money and upgrade to first class or just tell them that you're seven foot five like jesse kelly and it is therefore cruel and unusual to put you in coach and then they have to bump you up to first class you know what I'm really embarrassed about, Buck, is that I, I try to be, you know, I, I know you have to do this a lot. People will fly you around the country. They'll fly you out to do speaking engagements or do a TV show here, a radio show there, and it's really great. I'm not complaining about that, obviously. It's a fun life. It's a very fun life. But I now have to be the guy because I'm so tall. I try to be low-maintenance. I don't care. Put me up at any hotel. It doesn't matter to me. But I have to send them back a message and say, I'll come but I need either a first-class seat or emergency exit seat. And I put all these qualifications in there of I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I don't fit in coach. I physically do not fit in coach. And unless you can fly me something else, I'm not coming. See, everybody, you all seem to get an extra seat for Jesse Kelly's ego. <laughs> <laughs> you need an extra plane for that. But one day, Buck, one day. Yeah, we're going to get the, the Jesse Kelly G5. JK1 is going to be uh, what, what has to happen. Oh, and, and also there's a back to our soccer conversation here for a second. Uh, the female, what's her name? R- Rapino, I think, who won't stand or something for the national anthem. What is this? Oh, yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. The short, the, the, the short haired lesbian lady. I know what you're talking about. No, it's, it's, look, she's been doing this for a while. She was doing this when the national anthem protests were. We're going on, and it's really bizarre. At least the other people were pretending that it was about police violence, and I'm sure some of them believe that. She says she still will not sing the national anthem as, and I quote, an F.U. to Trump, only obviously she said the word, uh, which is the most bizarre thing in the world, as if Trump even knows who this person is or cares who this person is. And I have remarked, it, it, is, it is amazing to me how many people have beclowned themselves in an effort to beclown Trump. I mean, that didn't make him look or him look bad. It only made her look like an idiot. And I think it, it, it hurts viewership. So if they're so concerned about how much they're getting paid and getting paid vis-a-vis the men, I'm not aware of any on the men's soccer team who won't stand or show any respect for the, for the national anthem. But this is, uh, I think she was the, I think Rapinoe was the first athlete to, in solidarity with uh, Colin Kaepernick, who just did manage to pull off an incredible PR revival of, of his career, uh, it's, it's madness, man. It's madness that people still do this and think that they shouldn't suffer the consequences of the public saying, you know, you're, you're being kind of a brat, and we don't, we don't have to want to support what you're doing. You're, the government can't say you're going to prison because you don't stand for the anthem. But people, sponsors, companies, they can say, yeah, if you don't stand, uh, we don't really want to watch you. Exactly. And as you just pointed out, 
this is on the next breath. She's complaining about how much money she made. I mean, we were just talking about how you make money. You know how you make money? Make sure your talent outweighs your baggage. Period. So if you're out there crying for more money, don't make half the country hate you because you won't put your hand over the heart for the anthem. Before we let you get back to informing the great people of Texas and and Houston in particular about what's going on in the world, what anything else on Jesse Kelly's radar? Are you planning uh, Jesse Kelly's Great American Barbecue cook off soon or anything? Uh, nothing like that. I am pretty interested. I may travel to Japan really soon to stand in solidarity with all the businesses over there that are requiring women to wear high heels. I understand there are some protests going on, and I just feel like we need to stand behind these businesses who are keeping the old traditions, the best traditions. Jesse Kelly, everybody, host of The Jesse Kelly Show down in KPRC Houston, uh, our uh, sister iHeart station down there. Jesse, thanks so much for joining, man. We'll talk to you soon. Be good, brother. Team, we'll be right back. This afternoon, the U.S. women's soccer team will be chasing the World Cup title in France, starting against Thailand and fighting to defend their title is only part of the fight they're putting up uh, off the field. They are fighting for equal pay. All 28 players are suing their bosses, the U.S. Soccer Federation, alleging gender discrimination. And the squad filed the lawsuit, uh, appropriately enough, on International Women's Day back in March. It is a fight with broader social implications. This is a team that is considerably the most successful in the history of women's soccer. Ranked number one going into this World Cup, three World Cup titles, four Olympic gold medals, but apparently that's still not enough to be paid the same as men. That's right. Because it's not about you being the best golfer at the country club and then saying, why don't I get paid as much as Tiger Woods? It's about the ratings. This is a business. Professional sports are a business. Why is this so hard for the left to understand? Why do Democrats and social justice warriors act like they can't figure out why men in soccer make more money than women? It's not because the people that are in charge don't like women. That is, in fact, not why this is happening. Uh, It's not that they want to hold women back or, or anything like that at all. It's just there's a lot more money that goes to men's soccer because of the audience choosing to watch men's soccer. And, you know, I I think we're heading to a place where we're probably going to see more calls for gender integration of sports, uh, which is going to be a disaster. And and it's really a shame because ultimately it it will, if if we go to that place, and we are heading in that direction, if we go to that place where you do have single, uh, the, the single gender approach to sports or that everyone's competing against everyone else, uh, it'll destroy women's sports. The, the left is insane when it comes to the issue of gender differences. They, re- they believe that there's 37 genders or 120 genders or whatever it is. Gender is something you can make up. You know, that there's that, and they reject what is so clearly obvious to anyone with eyes and basic experience as a human being that in a vast majority of cases, men are going to be bigger, stronger, and faster than similarly situated women, right? So... Now, if you pull a 28-year-old, you know, women's World Club soccer, uh, World Cup soccer player and then put some 60-year-old guy who, you know, hasn't lifted anything other than a spoon to his mouth in the last 30 years, yeah, she's obviously going to be better than him. But if you took the looking at this team today, the uh, US Women's World Cup team and they're 13 nothing just trouncing of the uh, Thai, the Thai national women's team. 
if you put a decent men's Division I soccer team on the field against that women's national team, they would probably beat them. That's not even a professional team. That's just a college team. If you put the national champion men's D3 soccer team against the women's World Cup, soon to be probably champion uh, national team, that D3 men's team would it would be it would be close. I'm not saying they would win, but it, it would be pretty close. They're, I'm talking about the D3 national champion, not just any D3 team. Uh, that's just reality. So what you're really saying is that the women's I mean, if we're going to break this down and just be purely objective in this and forget about gender differences and all the rest of it. If you took uh, the women's this team that we're supposed to celebrate it and all the rest of it, and if you don't separate them out into women's and men's leagues, if we're all just going to play and it's all going to be open competition, uh, there would be men's teams out there. Uh, I think you could argue hundreds of men's teams in the United States that would beat the women's national team right now. Hundreds of them. Not, not a couple, but hundreds of them. Pretty much every top D1 program in the country would be able to beat them. So... And that's not, I mean, but this is, this is not to take away from the, you know, what the women have accomplished because they're women and they're competing against other women and it's amazing and it's great. And, you know, they're representing America and I'm, I'm really happy for them, but you don't get to have it both ways. You don't get to say, well, we're going to be separate and we want to be judged on the merits, but we also want to be paid what the guys who have more people watching them get paid. The guys have more people watching them because that's considered the apex of the sport. It's just the truth. And if you watch an NBA game and you've watched a WNBA game, you've seen this. NBA has guys who are the supreme athletes in the world at their sport doing things that look almost physically impossible and it's incredibly fast-paced. The WNBA is a lot of women passing it around and doing layups. It's just not exciting. So as a spectator, people make choices. And this, this, mar- this intrusion of the government into this market process for social justice reasons, it's just annoying. But I, I do think that you're, you're going to reach a point here where the social justice left has so undermined what it means to be a woman and, and how female uh, you know, characteristics and biology and the female sex is not something that is objective, but it is this malleable and politically determined characteristic that the, the great irony, irony here is at the end of the day, the ultra-left radicals will have destroyed feminism because there will be no such thing anymore as a feminist because what is really a feminist when anyone can be a woman? What does it even mean? How can it have any meaning whatsoever? So we got roll call coming up. We're going to dive into some things. It's going to be fantastic. Stay with me. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That's how you make the magic happen on the Roll Call. It's a very straightforward process. You go to that URL, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. You write a message. And then we hopefully get to it, although we have hundreds and hundreds coming in all the time. So it's uh, not a given, not a guarantee. But I do read through the box, and we are pretty up to speed on everything coming in day in and day out. All right. Patrick 
Patrick writes, I used to go see Knicks games, but this is not Patrick writing, but I remember going to see Knicks games as a kid, and they would always introduce Patrick Ewing the same way because he was the superstar of the Knicks at the time, although he really was never a true superstar in the sense that he won a ring or a champ. I know, I'm getting a little... But they'd always go, Patrick Ewing. <laughs> that was the way it always... And I thought it was so cool as a kid. I was like, one day I want to have a way that people just always have to say my name. They can't just be like, yeah, Patrick Ewing's coming. They're always... Patrick Ewing. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Patrick, last name unknown, or at least unstated. Roll call here, asking for a friend. If those who claim the U.S. is attempting to support a coup in Venezuela by supporting the duly elected president will also deny that McCabe, the FBI, Rosenstein, and the DOJ were not attempting a coup against our country's duly elected president. Um, I think I see what you're doing there. Patrick writes, P.S. I'm a dog trainer and you are 100% correct about Dalmatians. Oh, man, Patrick. Tell me the Dalmatians. Yeah, they look, they, they're they so cute in 101 Dalmatians. Everyone knows things. Oh, they're the best. They're so sweet. And you know, they're all, they're really cute looking dogs, but they have bad temperament. That's the reputation that it can be snappy. You don't want a dog that's snappy. I, I'm always amazed when I. Ask somebody if I'm in the elevator, you know, is your dog friendly? And usually you can pat the dog for a second if you're in the elevator. I just can't imagine being with people that has a dog where they have to say, no, my dog is not friendly. What's that all about? If it's a shelter dog and you say it and it had been abused, you know, then there's an excuse. But if your dog is just not friendly because your dog is not friendly, I think there are some questions you should ask. You know, if you got a little carpet shark. That, I don't know, might try to bite someone's face off at a baby shower in New Jersey because he was just trying to show the carpet shark a little love. You know, that little little vicious dachshund, little ankle biter, goes for the face. Got to ask questions like, why is it so snappy? Uh, and Patrick, your, your question about Venezuela and the uh, deep state coup against Trump. I see what you're doing. And leftists would deny that there's any credit. Uh, there's, there's any seriousness in it. But I, I appreciate what you're what you're saying. So thank you. Um, Dennis writes, please do more Beto and Bernie. Your impersonations are top notch. Dennis, thank you so much. I really just, it warms my heart and don't pay attention to the polls because I, I, I'm going to win the presidency. And also I love the stone temple pilots and nine inch nails because I'm a nineties throwback made into a human being in 2019. Um, and yeah, that's right. Well, there's Bernie, who's a throwback to the 1950s Soviet Union, a great place. They're giving out free everything, free health care, free moldy bread. You had to stand in line for it, but it was free. The health care was free. You know what the health care system was? Wait outside the doctor's office. There is no doctor. You'll get no health care, but that's the system. And it was free. Bernie does like that health care system. Theta. Not to be confused with Alpha or Chi or Omega. Hey, Buck, love your show. I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of years now. I always find it informative, and I enjoy your humor. Well, you have excellent taste in humor, Theta. On last night's show, you mentioned your dislike of mosquitoes. I just want to tell you that Avon has a product called Bug Guard that is the best at keeping those pesky bugs away, along with ticks. I'd be happy to send you and your staff some to try if you'd like. Thanks again for a great show and keeping things real in this crazy world. Shields high. Theta. Uh, Theta, thank you for the product recommendation. Appreciate it. And as for uh, 
mosquitoes and ticks. Ticks, to me, do look like an evil creature, and that's the way you can always tell that you're dealing with a tick because of those the way that their front little arms kind of hook around and they, they just look bad. Ticks look like they're evil creatures. And uh, I'm very much uh, hoping that we will be able to eradicate mosquitoes at some point. TJ writes, Buck, it's funny how AOC is lobbying to get paid more as a way to ensure less corruption. If we really want to ensure that those in Congress are not corrupt, Perhaps we should lobby that their salary be no greater than the current poverty rate in this country. Then they might actually look for ways to give people a hand up instead of a hand out. Uh, well, TJ, I think you'd have a hard time getting a lot of people to run for Congress, but I appreciate what you're what you're saying. Um, people should be able to make money. I mean, the, the market should be allowed to determine salary as much as possible. Not that the market is perfect, but... It's better than someone just deciding. It's better than the third commissar undersecretary of the Central Committee deciding what your salary is. Speaking about democratic socialism or just socialism. Andy writes, just found you in your podcast. You now have a loyal listener. I've binge listened to you for the last five days on iHeartRadio. Well, Andy, thank you so much, man. Please spread the word. Welcome to Team Buck. Welcome to the Freedom Hut. I think people that listen to this show who listen to podcasts are generally very, very pleased with the product because uh, we love what we do here and we put a lot into it every day. Uh, so thanks so much, man. Welcome. Welcome. Scott writes, hey, Buck, don't you think it's kind of sad that two formerly famous, unemployed and self-important people show up in Congress and Iowa on the same day to have only an 85 person audience hear what they had to say? Keep on keeping on, and I'll keep tuning in. Shields high. Always, Scott. Well, thank you, Scott. And sorry, I have a hair in my mouth, which when you're on radio, like, what do you do about that? I could technically keep going, but, man, it's hard to do when you have a hair in your mouth. Uh, it's my own hair, hopefully. Of course it's my own hair. What am I saying? So, Scott, uh, what was that? What was? That? Oh, yes. Um, I don't know who those two people are uh, that showed up in Congress in Iowa on the same day. 85 person audience. I'm not sure who we're talking about, but thanks for writing in, my man. Um, uh-oh. Here we go. Van writes, Buck, I'm getting a little frustrated trying to catch your live radio show and podcast. It seems that about every other night, your show is preempted by a baseball game on my local station. On those days, iHeart takes it upon themselves to replay that morning's radio show in your time slot. Now I find out they're doing replays even when you're on some of my live local radio. On the occasions when I do get to hear you live, the last hour is again preempted with another show. To add insult to injury, rarely does the podcast show up until the next morning. Now maybe I'm being a bit whiny, but I like to have my fresh buck perspective when I'm out and about owning my local libs. Not sure there's anything that can be done, but I thought I'd let you know. Is there anyone to let them know that I'm mad as hell? I'm not going to take it anymore. As always, shields high. Van, the podcast of the show is going to be out earlier this summer uh hours hours and hours earlier i can tell you this that by the end of the summer you will be able to listen to the podcast of this show you across the country any of you during drive time on your way home from work on your way to uh you know back from the office or from the grocery store cooking dinner hanging out at night uh it will be we're going to move it up earlier so that's the plan. You're going to be able to get the podcast. If I have, there's a couple of things that we worked out here on the schedule. 
but no later right now than, uh, well, let's just say it'll be early afternoon. It'll be early afternoon. You'll be able to listen to the podcast because we know that this is the problem we have. Um, people love the podcast. They love the show. But if, it, if we can't get it out till nine or 10 o'clock at night, it's really hard for people to be able to listen before the next morning. And then they want to listen to the next day's news. So we're moving the podcast up really early. Some of you might be saying, well, how do you do that? The glory of pre-taping some segments and preparing the show as a as a collage of awesome, a collage of audio awesome each day with fresh content and breaking news as we need it. But there's a lot of stuff that we do that's really more in-depth analysis. So and if, especially if you're listening on demand, it's really that day's news you need. You don't need up to the minute. If you want up to the minute, there's all these different news ticker channels and things out there. That's not what we do here. Hannah writes, I watched the Dean testimony uh, because I'm a nerd that watches politics like sports. I would rather meet Ted Cruz, for example, than someone like Brad Pitt. The Alabama lawyer lady absolutely killed me using her southern accent to appear dumb about the microphone and whatnot. But all in all, Matt Gates was huge. Uh, Hannah, yeah, I, I, I didn't watch the Dean testimony. I saw clips of it. I read some transcript stuff from it, but it's uh, it was a joke. I mean, it did not do well at all. It did not serve the Democrats purposes at all. Unsurprising. Sean writes, Buck, I was staring at the California flag at my daughter's graduation and realized something. The flag has a red star and a grizzly bear. They are literally owning themselves with a commie bear flag. Who knew there were more covert Buck fans in the state? Shields high. Sean, incredibly astute analysis, my friend. You are correct. Commie bear has infiltrated the Cali commies, and that is now what their flag represents, whether they know it or not. Los Vodanya, American swine. That's going to be it for the show today in the Freedom Hunt, my friends. Always, always a pleasure and a privilege to be here with you. I will talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.